as we uh, as we're singing that song, I remember uh, a while back when I was going through the book of Romans on a Thursday night, and we came to Romans chapter eight, one of my favorite ver- chapters in the Bible. But in the sense that <clears throat> what we were singing in this song. <clears throat> Um, where he says, uh, you make all things work together for my good. And it goes on and on. And it says, you stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me and your love never changes or your love never fails and honestly guys if we truly believed what those words said if we truly believe what romans 8 28 says that he works all things for the good to those who love god and are called according to his purpose we would never ever worry about anything anything because we know that his love never fails and we know that whatever we go through he will use it for his good And if that is the case, we would never, ever worry (laughs) because he's faithful. Isn't that true? And yet we're humans and we're going, ah, we freak out. (laughs) But he is so good. He is truly so good. Last week we opened up and began a new book that I believe we are going to be in for a little while. Because if last week was any indication of how we are going to roll as we go through this book, uh, we're going to be in it for a couple months probably. Um, Turn, if you will, to the book of uh, Jude, second to the last book of the Bible. If you're a regular at church, I would encourage you, put, put, put a, a, a bookmark there, because every Sunday when you get here, for the most part, unless God changes something up in my little pea brain here, we're going to be in the book of Jude. Unless somebody else is teaching, we're going to be in the book of Jude. And so get a bookmark or something and put it there so that when you get here, you know where we're going to be turning to. Encourage you. I, I, I truly want to encourage you. Read that short book. It's 25 verses. Read it, know it, understand it. So that when we come together and we cover one verse or two verses or whatever the case may be, you're already familiar with it. And so I really want to encourage you to do that. It was truly my intention last week to cover the first four verses. It really, really was. When I started thinking about it that week of going, okay, yes, we're, you know, I marked in my Bible, okay, we're going to have a break here, a break here, a break here. Um, yeah, maybe a break there. And, and again, you know, there was like, I don't know how many studies, I'd have to look, count them of all the breaks that I had. And as I started going in my study, um, all of a sudden, things quickly changed that we were only going to cover two verses. Because I quickly realized just how important just covering those two verses would be if we truly are going to contend for the faith. 
And that's the theme of this book. And that's the theme of our time in the book of Jude that we are going to contend or we need to contend for the faith. Because I believe that those two verses truly establish our position in, in our faith of where we stand and why we stand. You see, if you understand where you stand in your faith or in Christ and why you stand, you will be better equipped in contending for the faith. Because if you don't know where you stand or why you stand, why would you? You have no reason to contend to anything. You have no reason to. You're not going to fight for it because it's like it doesn't, doesn't mean that much to you because you really don't know or understand why you do this or where you're at in Christ. You have no reason to take a stand. That's understandable. <laughs> but if you do know and you do understand where and why you stand, then you will let nothing get in your way of contending not only for the faith, but for your personal faith with Jesus Christ. There's nothing that's going to stop you because you are so convinced of it, because it's become so real to you that nothing can change you. That's why I can get pretty passionate about these kinds of scriptures because I know where I'm at in Christ and I know why I'm at in Christ. Jude chapter, well, Jude, verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you Concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 3, as we'll only cover two verses this morning, he begins, Jude begins by saying, Beloved, now I know if you've been with us for a year, for this last year, I, I know that, that we have covered this word and what it means, beloved. Because we almost couldn't help but cover it when we were going through the epistles of the Apostle John, who is the Apostle of Love, who talks about his beloved, his little children, that intimacy and all those kinds of things. But just like most of us who can't get enough of hearing those words, I love you. I don't know if you ever get tired of hearing that. I don't. I want to cover it again because I like that word beloved. It's so funny because I often, <clears throat> especially to the men, well, mostly the men, if somebody says, hey, Zeke, I say, yes, my love. 
And it creeps them out, I know. And my love, my, my love, my, my wife, who is my love, um, when, I, when she calls me, I say, yes, my love. She goes, it doesn't even mean that much anymore. It's like, no, when I say it to you, it means a whole lot more. And when I say it to like Jim or Gary or somebody, you know, and, and they're like, oh, because <clears throat> I know that some of you aren't that mushy or that sappy like some of us are. Because <laughs> I am. I'm a sappy kind of guy. I am a mushy kind of guy. You guys are going, no, I can't tell by all the crying you do. <laughs> hmm. I'm a sensitive guy. The word beloved carries with it God's love. It really does. It carries with it God's love, His agape love. If you're new to Christianity, that word agape is, is God's love. It's an, His unconditional love that He has for the world. For God so loved unconditionally the world that whoever receives Him has eternal life, Right? It's a kind of love that makes us accepted in the beloved who is God. Because Ephesians 1, 6 tells us that we are accepted. We've been adopted into the family and we've been accepted in the beloved because he is God. He is love. He is all those kinds of things. And, and this word beloved, it carries the meaning that believers are, are esteemed. Dear, favorite. I like that one because it's like when God talks to me about, ah, oh, Zeke, you're my beloved. What he's saying is, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my absolute favorite. I'm more favorite than you are. I'm his favorite. But see, when he calls you his beloved, you are his favorite as well. And so I look at this word and it's like right on. I am highly esteemed by God and by the brethren because we are to call one another beloved in that sense because it applies to Christians as being reconciled to God and judged by Him to be worthy of eternal life. And so because of that, Christians are bound together in this mutual love. And so again, my love... (laughs) We are to love one another. And I love this because as Jude is writing this letter, he uses that word beloved. Because Jude had come to know and understand this kind of love, this kind of unconditional love that his half-brother Jesus had been pouring out the whole time they lived together, growing up together. The whole time when Jesus got into ministry and began to have followers and people were attracted to Jesus because he was sharing this kind of love all the time. Because he couldn't help but let love ooze out of who he is. Because even as he was here on earth, he was love. And so Jude had finally come to know this kind of love. And because Jude had come to know it, he received it. He received this kind of love that comes from God and now he he is now pouring it out himself as he calls these people that he is writing to beloved. And so it's like, man, Jude, how things have changed in your life, Brostein? Because at one time, you know, you didn't you you didn't adhere to this kind of love, but now that you've received this kind of love, man, all of a sudden 
you're, you're, you're kind of sharing this kind of love with other people. He is pouring himself out to those who he is writing to because he or they became dear to him, highly esteemed. You see, this kind of love can become contagious <laughs> because it is communicable. And if you aren't careful with this kind of love, it can be infectious. <laughs> I know, I know. If it becomes airborne, man, you're done. If it becomes airborne, man, it, it, if it hits you, man, you're done. You've received this love. And I know many have tried to stomp out this love. But it's incurable. It's bigger than all of us. <laughs> it's God's love. And you may fight it. <laughs> Even if you're here as a non-Christian today and people greeted you and it's like, hey, come here, brother, or whatever, you're going, stay away from me. Jeez. Because you're afraid that it might become infectious. You're afraid it's like, just stay away, man. I want to guard my personal space here. Uh, hopefully one day you'll be going like, come here. Because it can. It can become infectious, contagious. And so as he shares to his beloved, he says, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I do find it interesting that Jude had it in his heart, maybe as he sat down to pen this letter, to make it a letter of encouragement to his beloved brethren in the faith, about their common faith, about their common salvation. He wanted to sit down and say, man, I just kind of want to write this, this encouraging letter in one sense. Because I think it was intended to be a letter with no specific agenda except to talk about the things that pertain to salvation, the goodness of salvation, the grace and all those things that lead us to salvation. And, and talking about Jesus and what he has done, the things that we all have in common in that sense. But somehow the Spirit of the Lord led him to do something different. To go into a specific area... And I, and, and I know Jude was aware of what was going on within the church, of those things that have crept into the church. He was very much aware of them, but he was eager to write about salvation. And yet God says, no, we're going to write about this because this needs to be addressed now. And I could totally understand how, how this can happen. <laughs> Not that it always happens to me, but when it does happen to me, when it does, um, I want to be obedient to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You, you know, because I oftentimes have, my, have, have my, my preset ideas of what we should be doing and how I should be doing things. And, and, and whether it's, it's thinking I'm going to cover so many verses, man, because I've already marked them down in my Bible, and, and we got to cover this many verses. And then in the middle of, as I'm studying or something happening, God says, no, you're just going to cover these. It's like, I'm sorry, God can't do that. I have my set plans and you just need to come alongside and encourage those plans, right? No, when, when, when all of a sudden things are pointing in a different direction, you know, when, when, when we have a regular church service and, and my, I, I just love Jim to death, man, because, you know, everything should go as normal, man. You come to church, you expect it to go this way. 
right? It's church. But you come and all of a sudden the lights are down or this has changed or that's changed. And I often, you know, as I'm praying, I'm getting ready to, to whatever to, it's like, okay. And, and, and I just feel like, gosh, Lord, are you leading us to do something different? And I call Jim or I text Jim or I get here like an hour before or whatever. Jim, we need to do something different. I just feel like the Lord's leading us to do this. I want to be, I want to be obedient in that. And I and bless Jim because, man, he has caught on to that. <laughs> Thursday night I got here and um, I, again, man, the Lord had been stirring something in my heart. And Jim, we need to change it and you're leading it. And it was almost like, I don't know how he feels inside. Like, what a jerk. What a jerk. You should have told me as soon as you thought about this crazy idea. But I wait until he gets here, and it's like, and you're going to lead it, and we'll just see how it goes. So whenever things like that happen, or or I have a set plan of how a counseling appointment is going to go, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, never even thought of that. You know, and and I just think like when Proverbs 6, 9 9 says, "A a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. See, I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to be afraid if the Spirit is telling me to do something that, that, that again, it's not going to get all crazy, you know. Well, I might get a little crazy because you're like, hey, I've never seen church done like this. It's like, well, it's not unscriptural. It's just different. I don't want to be afraid if the Lord's allowing us or leading us in a different direction to change things. And, and, and so I could understand when, when he says, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common faith, <laughs> I found it necessary. <laughs> I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. What I truly believe is that Jude found himself being led by the Spirit of God and it became so obvious to him that he couldn't shake it as he sat down and began to write and became so obvious of what God wanted him to write about and encourage the church with and challenge the church with. And and this is what I find fascinating and it blesses my heart that Jude, as he sat to write and, and, and God changes things in his heart. God brought to remembrance all that he wrote about. Because when you read through, the, through, through Jude, there is so much that he touches base on. So much that was historical that he would not have known unless he knew his word. <laughs> he knew what the, what the Holy Scriptures shared and so he was able to convey it here as if and this is what the lord wants us to talk about and and here's the examples and here's these things and so what blesses my heart is that he knew exactly what he was supposed to write as he's going because the lord was bringing these things to remembrance and so he knew all the history that he was writing about because he knew the word of god he understood the word of god and so he wasn't afraid when god changed directions and i think oftentimes when people are so stringent of this is the way it's it's almost like they're afraid to do anything beyond what the holy spirit can actually do because it's like oh no lord we need to keep it right here in this box god's going man i i, I am so outside the box 
that if you knew my spirit and how it works, you wouldn't be afraid to go that direction or that direction or that direction because you know you're in my will. Because I'm leading you and I'm guiding you. Because I'm sure it would have been more pleasant for Jude just to write about their common salvation. Just to like write these things to make whoever was going to be reading this just make them feel warm and fuzzy all over. Oh, Jude, thank you, man. You're my beloved too, Brostein. I love you. Oh, man. Yeah. You know what? It was necessary to write about something that was that wasn't i guess so so pleasant you see much of what is written in the word of god especially in the new testament much of what is written in the new testament to us as believers is in the form of warnings we need to be aware of what's going on out there because as much as I love feeling warm and fuzzy all over, leaving church and saying, oh, I just feel so good about myself. <laughs> I think oftentimes God's going, I don't want you to be that, that comfortable. Yes, understand my love and my grace and, and all those kinds of things. Understand that. And that makes you feel like, oh, Lord, thank you. But I think oftentimes the Word of God is giving us warnings, alerting us to watch out, to be on guard. The word necessary means constraint. Literally or figuratively, by implication, distress, must needs, of necessity, needful. It was something that he could not shy away from. And this was the right time to write something like this. It was the necessary time to write to the readers this, what he, what he is telling us in this short book. He says, I found it necessary to exhort you. And that word exhort, again, because it was the right time and the, the necessary time, means to call one one call to one's side to call near oh 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 I, I always get this picture when I get to the word exhort of coming alongside of someone putting your arm around them walking them and instructing them as they go warning them of what is ahead because they've been there before and so that's what that word means exhort to come alongside to call a one call to one's side and, and in this effort or in this writing that he's, he's giving us here, I, I, I want to exhort you to contend earnestly for the faith. You see, this was now a call to arms. Instead of a warm, fuzzy letter to the people, it was a call to arms. It was a call for them to wake up and to be alert, to understand, hey, there are things that are happening in our midst that we need to battle up for, gear up for. It's no time to really just feel warm and fuzzy. I, I, I need for you to, 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 to move forward here, the, the, the exhortation to battle and to contend for the faith. And, 
It, 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 it wasn't a training exercise. <laughs> it wasn't a practice. This was the real deal as he's writing to them. This was a call to be in the fight. This was a call to get off the playground and into the battleground. This was not a time to be a spectator, but to be a participant in the fight. And I truly believe that God is leading us even as a church, but more importantly as as individuals, you. And I don't know how long you've been walking with the Lord, that you need to be a participant in this fight. And, and, and whatever you're battling with in your life, whatever you're having to deal with day in and day out in your life, it, it's not a playground anymore. It's a battleground, and we need to be ready. I, I, I like what the Apostle Paul was, was telling the Philippians in, in Philippians 1.27. It says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs. That you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. He is warning them. He he is writing to them and he almost sounds like a general (laughs) as he's giving orders to his troops, as he's writing to his troops. Whether I come or I don't come, I want to hear about what's going on in your life and that you're standing fast in one spirit and that you're striving together for this common faith, for, for, for this, the faith of the gospel. I don't want you just to stand firm, in other words, but I want you to be striving, contending together for the faith of the gospel. When we go back here to to Jude chapter 3, where it says to contend earnestly for. To contend earnestly for is made up of one Greek word. I'm going to attempt it. Agonizomai. Epagonizomai. If I say it enough, it'll come out. Epagonizomai. Epagonizomai. It means to struggle for. It's an important word, guys, and that's why I really like have to work at this because in the middle of that word, we have the word agonizo. Agonizo. And that is where we get our English word agonize from. Apagonizomai is to contend earnestly for. But right in the middle of that, that word contend means to struggle for. And it speaks of of an athlete who agonizes to get his body in shape so that he will have endurance for whatever contest is before him. He's not just going to jump in. He's going to agonize and get his body ready to go do what he's supposed to go do to win this contest. I don't know if you guys like the UFC fighting. I know it's pretty brutal for some people. 
That's just mano a mano, the, guy, the way God intended for guys to fight. Okay, I'm just kidding. But those guys just, I can't just, just, just jump into the ring. I'm a little girl when it comes to pain. And if I don't agonize to get my body, this fine specimen of a body, in there to fight, <laughs> you have to agonize, you have to train, you have to do all you can to go the three rounds. There are only five minute rounds, right? You try it. Five minute rounds that, that, that your body just has to endure. It's the same word that you would be using as a soldier who who agonizes and prepares his mind, his heart, his body to, to go into the battle and to give his life if he has to. It's it's a hardcore word when it talks about agonizo or whatever to agonize to contend for the faith. It's not just like, oh, I'm just going to jump in. It's like you're going to get jacked. Boom. Because you have not prepared yourself for the fight. And, and so it is a hardcore word that contending for the faith does not take place in a rocking chair. No, it's in the front lines. And you need to prepare for the front lines. And guys, you know, when I say that for the front lines, it's like, what are you talking about, pastor? Getting out there? It's like leading your family. How about just start there? That's the front lines because the world wants your family and if you as a man is not agonizing for your family, your family is going to get jacked up because you're not in the front lines for them. You're letting somebody else do it. Now I understand you men. It's like, man, I'm so busy. It's like, really? Everybody's busy. Everybody. Everybody in this room, man, you can talk to everybody in this room and they're all busy. But you need to agonize for the front lines. And if that's going above and beyond other things in, in your life, in ministry, or, or, or whatever it is, but the front lines is your family. Because if he can take you out as a man or a mom, then he's got your family. You need to be fighting. That's what it means to, 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 to get off the rocking chair and get into the, the front lines. And, and, and the only way you can get into the front lines and prepare for this battle to contend for the faith is, is because you've already sat in the situation room. In the war room, you've already sat there. You've already gotten the orders and the strategies that, that you have heard from your commander who has given them to you right here in his word. You've poured over it. So you're hearing the commander's voice. You've prepared your heart and your mind in the quietness, putting on the armor of God and getting ready for the battle that is out there, even if it's just for your family. And I say even just for your family. It's like that's one of the most important things right there. You need to contend for your family. Because if you contend for your family and they become strong, then how how much of a force can you guys be out there when you're out at work or when they're at school? And they go off to college. All those kinds of things, guys, are important. But you've prepared your mind and your, your heart and quietness to put on the armor and, and letting the voice of your commander play over and over in your heart and mind, preparing you to go out there. You see, these are the same orders and commands that were delivered, given 
to the apostles and to faithful men like Jude and to all the other saints who also contended, fight, fought, agonized for the faith as combatants, as, as soldiers, as warriors to the very end. Because it says at the end of verse 3, which was once and for all delivered to the saints. And they have been delivered to us today. And it is a huge responsibility that God has given us His Word today. It's been delivered to us in this day and age. They've been handed down to us, to you and to me. What are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with what's been handed down from the apostles, from the Holy Spirit to the apostles, to men throughout the centuries? And it gets to us today in 2015. It's like, what are we going to do? Are we going to contend earnestly for this faith that has been handed down to us so that we can pass it on to the next generation? (laughs) And I know that some might think, wow, Zeke, you, you make it sound really important. You can get pretty dramatic and passionate about those kinds of things. Absolutely. Because it's been given to us. It's a responsibility that has been handed down from generation to generation because God saw it fit to give it to us. And if you're one of those who might think, (laughs) overboard, man, you're starting to sweat up there, bro. I could guarantee you, you've already lost a stinking battle. You've lost the battle for you, for your family, because you're not taking it serious. You're still on the playground. It's still a playground for you. You're still in the rocking chair. <laughs> it's a war zone. Because this world, the enemy of this world, of your soul, your own flesh, wants to destroy you. It really does. And you think like, oh, gee, there it goes again. Yeah, we're going to get to verse 4. Yikes. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this, for, for this condemnation, godly, ungodly men who turn the grace of, our Lord, of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter had warned that these types would be out there, that these certain kinds of men would be coming. When Paul was telling the the Ephesian elders he's leaving, he says, after I leave, ravenous wolves will come in and they will will come in from among you and they will take you away and and, and destroy you. And Peter was warning the same kind of thing. That they would come into the church and here Jude uses the word have, not going to have. They have come in. They've crept in unnoticed. They're already in the church. And guess what? They haven't left. They keep on creeping into the churches. Who are these certain men? They are apostates. Apostates. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of God. Because when push comes to shove, they show their true colors. That they're not really of Him. They are dissenters defectors, deserters, traitors, backsliders, and turncoats. Oh, they they have a form of godliness. But when it comes down to contending for the faith, they make a mockery out of it. 
They're not taking it. Well, no, they are taking it serious on the other side. <laughs> According to the Nielsen, Nielsen's Illustrated Bible Dictionary, apostasy is generally defined as the as the determined willful rejection of Christ and his teachings by a Christian believer. Hmm. This is different from false belief or error, which is the result of ignorance. Some Christian groups teach that apostasy is impossible for, the, for those persons who have truly accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord. And I know that this de- debate can go all day long. It will go on all day long. Whether apostates are Christians or not. And we will probably never come up with a consensus or, or agreement. But the issue here is that they, are, they exist and they are in the church. Whether they're believers or non-believers. They are in and they've crept in. These certain men have crept in unnoticed, which means that they have entered in secretly, slipped in stealthily. <laughs> In other words, they've gained entrance secretly by the side door, as the Amplified puts it. They're in the churches. There's apostates that are in the churches that have this form of godliness, but when push comes to shove, nah. But they make themselves at home within the church, and outwardly they look and they talk like Christians. And I would have to say they fit just just right in. They fit in. But here's the giveaway. And he tells us here in this verse. Here's the giveaway of these apostates. They turn the grace of God into lewdness. And they deny the Lord God, the only Lord God, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in regards to denying the only Lord God and the Lord Jesus Christ, they may keep that under wraps for a time, not playing that card openly because... You know, they want to gain favor or confidence within the church. And so they, they, they might keep that underneath because there's some people that will have a red flag about that, even those who may not be uh, as interested, but they're going, they're saying they deny God. They're denying God, but they're in here. I don't understand that. So people can, can, can kind of catch on to that. But here's where it becomes more evident. And that is where they, not in what they deny, but what they don't deny. And that is their own flesh. They don't deny their own flesh. They turn the grace of God into lewdness. They don't deny themselves. The the biblical words for lewdness are lasciviousness, licentiousness, wantonness. Boils down to filthiness and immorality. Now, I know that we don't use like the first three words a lot or even lewdness. We don't use that a lot. But we hear that when somebody does a lewd act. But like lasciviousness and licentiousness and and wantonness, they're all pervertedness. Because you can boil down all those words to perversion and perverted. And the words perverted and perversion carry words like twisted, distorted, slanted. These certain men may not openly be open about their lewdness per se, but they 
they will prey on unsuspecting Christians <laughs> that will follow them, and they will be okay with their slant and what they allow in their lives. And he's well, if he allows that in his life, I guess I could do it in my life. Yeah, it sounds a little weird. <laughs> sounds a little immoral, a little perverted, but hey. But you see, these unsuspected Christians, they're okay with certain things that even Christians are, are doing. Because these unsuspected Christians are truly not contending for the faith anyways. They're still in the play field. They're, they're, they're still in the playground. The synonyms that come up with the word lewdness in my word document <laughs> were words like coarseness, filthiness, vulgarity, profanity, uncouthness, vileness, unwholesomeness. Those words were, we, we could kind of relate to a little bit more. And here's the interesting take on all of this. How in the world can anyone not notice these kinds of certain men <laughs> that are supposedly so stealthily, stealthily, but they're associated with all these words that are associated with lewdness when it comes to coarseness and filthiness and vulgarity and, and profanity and uncouthness and vileness and, and how, how, how could somebody not notice somebody like that? And yet I've just described the lifestyle of many who call themselves Christians because you're allowing that in your life. You're allowing things like that in your life already, <laughs> in your household, in your Christian business, because they're still playing on the playground and not on the battleground. Contending for the faith is not something that they want to do because they might come ac across as contentious. <laughs> you, you, you see... You're never going to spot them out, these certain men, because they, they, they might look very much like you. <laughs> but these guys, these people, play for keeps. These apostates, they know what they're doing. They understand the battleground. And you know where they go looking? In the playground. <laughs> they go looking at the playground for unsuspecting Christians. It says that they've been marked out for this condemnation. In other words, it's been written about them in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of how God will judge them for what they've done to His people. But Peter says this in 1 Peter 4.17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? There's a judgment coming and God will judge His people first. It really is time, church, to understand what is at stake here. Do you know where you stand? Do you know why you stand? Because if you do then you will contend for the faith the best way you know how. You will contend for it. 
the little you might know, you will, you will to the death, you will do it because you're, you're that convinced. But if you really don't care to know or understand, then you will be living like an apostate. You will be living like one who turns the grace of God into lewdness, perversities. You, you pervert the gospel because of things you allow. And you will be living like one who denies the only Lord God and Jesus Christ. And guys, if that's you, as a Christian, you're going, man, it's time for repentance. If there would be a time of repentance in your life that today you would say, man, Lord, <laughs> I don't consider myself a non-believer. I consider myself a believer. But I've perverted your grace because of the things that I allow in my life and in my household and, my, and the things that I do. And so there's going to be prayer teams down here, man. And I want, I, I want to call you, man, to, to repent. And I know you can sit right where you're at and repent. And God bless you. But if you need to repent and take a stand and take a step, then you do that. I, I know it gets busy in the foyer, but come and talk to me, man. Talk to Pastor Gary somewhere around here. Talk to one another about it. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, and you really don't know what you stand for, I want to challenge you. Hey, why don't you take a stand? Because you have nothing to stand for right now. I don't care what it is. You have nothing. And so I want to encourage you in that too. And so let's stand as we close in prayer. Again, there's going to be people down here that want to pray for you as the song goes on. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for your word, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord God, for the seriousness of your word. Lord, I think even when we talk about the love and the grace and the mercy, Lord, there's a seriousness that comes with that as well. Because you sent your son <clears throat> to die on our behalf because of that. So there is a seriousness, even though we feel good about it, Lord. It cost you everything. And so, Lord, I just thank you that we can glorify you. And, and, and Lord, those, those times that, that we're going through it, and in the morning you give us fresh mercies every morning, Lord God. We want to rejoice in those kinds of things, Lord God, but you've, you've given us your word to warn us as well of what is out there. And I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would truly, Lord God, bring some into that place of repentance that they would get serious about serving you because their lives are at stake, their families are at stake. Lord, this is a call to arms <laughs> and we need to be ready. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters. Please encourage them, Lord. And those who are already in the front lines, Lord, give them strength, Lord, to stand and to contend for what they know. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I do. I, I want to give you that opportunity. I don't want to waste this time. If you're here and you're going, whoa, I don't know about this battle, but I've been getting nailed because I'm a, I've been on the other side. 
If there's anybody here who, who needs Jesus, just raise your hand. I will pray for you to say, Lord, please touch them. God bless you. Amen. I see your hands. Father, I pray for these people who have raised their hands, Lord God. Lord, you, you see their hearts. You understand where they're at right now, Lord. And I pray that even as I'm praying for them, Lord, that they would be praying, asking for forgiveness, that you would cause them, Lord God, to look to you. I pray, God, that you would just make them into, in, into those, those, those new Christians, Lord God, that you talk about in your word, that you've cleansed them from all their sin and all their guilt, and they can walk in the newness of life. And Lord, as they enter into this battle, that they would understand where they stand with you, that they've come to know you, so, Lord, please bless them and encourage them. Once again, Lord, bless your holy name, for you are worthy to be praised, Lord. Lord, that when we look to you, Lord God, there's nothing that changes. You, you remain the same. And you can use everything for your glory. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you, my brother.